I hope I can steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive. Deep left The flags go up, churning and burning. They yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Few burning fast on an empty. Welcome to the opening weekend edition of Stats on Deck. I'm Nick Laporte, and I'm joined by Jake Adams. Jake, what the hell is going on with the Mariners? Sometimes you just have to tip your cap and call the Mariners your daddy. <laughs> that's just that's what you got to do. Uh, six and one on the year. Um, two two wins in in Tokyo with Ichiro. That was nice to see. Then they didn't stop there. I think it's garbage that they got to have those two games in Tokyo. You know, you get to explore the world. It's not that far of a flight from, you know, from Seattle, and right. and they get a head start on everybody else. I think it's I I think it's wrong to Oakland, and I certainly think it's wrong to the Red Sox. I'm gonna have to agree with you there. Um. For, for the Mariners to start in Tokyo about a week before everybody, it just seems kind of kind of like there was, there was an unfair advantage there for one side. And if you're Oakland, I, I wouldn't be happy because – so you're in the middle of spring training, you're gearing up for the season, then all of a sudden you're in, you're in Tokyo and these games count just as much as every other game. The thing that's frustrating too is Seattle gave up in the off season. They they threw away 2019. <laughs> they they, they sent did. Ja- they sent James Paxton to the Yankees. I mean they they shipped out they shipped out half their team. They put they sent Gene Segura to the Phillies. I mean they they weren't even trying and they're they're making the World Series champions look like a minor league team. Yeah, it is strange because uh, we don't expect the Mariners to really contend for a playoff spot this year. But here they sit with six wins and a plus 16 run differential. Um, is this a classic case of good start by a bad team? Yeah, I think it's very similar to how the Mets started last year. Starting out, I think it was something like 14-2 and two last year. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, the nobody believes in us. ESPN has us projected at 70-something wins. You know, we're going to go out and show everybody and – at the initial part of the season, I think you kind of hype yourself up. Everybody's fresh, and you've got some players on there that, you know, are excited to make a big league club or excited to, you know, maybe make a name for themselves and, you know, uh, outdo some expectations. I mean, you've got guys like Domingo Santana and, and Tim Beckham that are crushing the ball right now and look like all-stars. And I know it's only six right. games into the season, but, I mean, these guys are absolute world beaters right now. Right, that was that was one of the – things I took away from that series with Boston um not usually a great offensive team Seattle but they they've been able to get the job done so far this year putting up some good some good runs I mean if you look at um their starting pitcher Marco Gonzalez I keep wanting to call him Miguel Gonzalez Marco Gonzalez it's 2-0 on the year, but in ERA just south of 5, it's not like he's pitched well. Well, when you, but... when you score 12 runs a game, it doesn't really matter how well you pitch, does it? Right. You got, you've got – that's the that's the Yankees' approach, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, when, oh, go when ahead. When you have guys like Malik Smith 
yeah. leading off the game with a home run against Nathan Evaldi at, to the smallest part of the park, sneaking one over the wall. You just know things are going right for you right now. That's right. That is right. Um, yeah, if we look at the Mariners, uh, there there's not a lot to be to be excited about overall with their team. But uh, that being said, they they've got a jump on everybody else here with the two extra wins in Tokyo. Um, but I mean, when you look up and down their lineup, yes, they got Encarnacion, who's been one of the one of the best DHs in the game over the last few years. They added Jay Bruce. Um, you've got D Gordon who leads the league in stolen bases, but, um, yeah, it's just not, it's not, it's like in years past, they have been trying to contend for a playoff spot. It it doesn't seem to be the case this year. I think out the gate, you've just had some guys that are, you know, playing over their heads a little bit, like, like Hanniger and Healy, good quality baseball players, but you don't expect them to be you know, hitting 30 home runs, driving in 100 RBIs, and yet here we stand five games into the six, whatever, however many games they played in Tokyo into the season. And uh, you've got you've got some guys that are playing a little above their head right now, and uh, it, it's it's been quite a start for the Mariners. It's definitely been unexpected, not just to us, but I think to the baseball world. Yes, and uh, I think we both expect them to be back at the bottom sooner rather than later, but uh, congratulations to the Mariners on, on their – fast start another team we got to cover is the tampa bay rays who narrowly missed out on the postseason last year they they look a lot a lot like last year's team yeah tampa's also been off to a hard hot start i mean they didn't start the season off with an easy team either in the houston astros who like we talked about in our preseason stuff are expected to once again be at the top of the uh, al west and the one thing that i found fascinating was that you know I mean, overall, the Astros pitching staff is, has held their own and did through that series. But, I mean, those were tight baseball games. And Tampa Bay just looked like a well-put-together, well-pitched, good bullpen, had enough offense to win games and kind of keep Houston dormant uh, at the plate. Right. Right, yeah, it was, it was a little strange to look at the Astros struggling so much against Tampa Bay. But that being said... Uh, I don't want to take anything away from the Rays. I think, I think we're going to see this is who the Rays are. They can pitch really well. Uh, their their teams combined for an ERA of two so far, but um, I, I just don't think they have the offensive capabilities to keep up with some of these other heavy hitters in the American. League. I mean, if you look at the depth chart for the Rays right now, what's interesting is that. On their roster and the way they stack things up, they have three starting pitchers right now. And like we saw last year, they're trying to do like the opener kind of deal where, right. where they basically Mitch and Matt, Mitch, mix and match uh, bullpen guys, you know, righty-lefty matchups uh, all the way through a game. And, I mean, if Blake Snell or Charlie Morton isn't on the mound, you can expect the Rays to go into their bullpen the latest by the third inning. And that's just kind of how uh, Kevin Cash and the rest of them have uh, chose to go about how they're going to make their way through the season with their pitching staff. Right. Yes. This is, this is the best start for the Rays, tied with 2012 uh, in the first five games of the year. They're four and one. And um, I, I think the Rays may end up surprising us a little bit by, by staying in contention for a wild card spot. But I, I just don't know it. Um, 
like we were talking about, I just don't know if they can keep up this pace of being able to keep the scores low and win these games. At a certain point, you're going to have to really score runs, and I just don't know if the Rays can do that. Yeah, I don't really know where the offense is coming from. I mean, you look at their entire at their entire team from hitting perspective. I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer batted under 200 last year. I don't know if you can expect Tommy Pham to have kind of the out-of-nowhere resurgence veteran year that he had last year. Uh, right. They have the rookie shortstop, Adamas, who showed a lot of potential, but I don't think he's ready to quite carry an offense yet. And I, I just think with the Rays, I think they're going to be heavily reliant upon that bullpen and being a healthy pitching staff as a whole to be successful. And if they want to – you know, make an argument for a wild card race and maybe take that away from New York. Uh, I would not be complaining. Right. That's the thing. Um, as baseball fans, we, we love to see teams like the race that have good pitching yep. that play you really hard, that are kind of trying to innovate in, in certain scenarios. I definitely like seeing them have success. Uh, we'll see if they can keep it up. I mean, if they were in the national league last year, they would have been a clear playoff team. So if the top of the American league, it does a little bit worse this year, it's possible the race could jump up. Personally, I just don't see it happening, but uh, we gotta, we gotta overreact to opening weekend as much as possible. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, I, I hope that the AL East is usually one of the powerhouse divisions in baseball. And I I'd like to see it be competitive all year. And I'd like, like we talked about, I'd, it's always, baseball is always better when you're having those teams like the Rays, like Oakland, you know, like the Angels potentially fight for that wild card spot going down to the end of the year, and you know, have a little bit of a parity and change up in the playoff structure in October. Well said. So now we've talked about a couple of teams that started off really strong. Now we're going to talk about a couple of uh, potential playoff teams that have started off slow. And this is going to start with the Boston Red Sox. Tell me what's going on. Well, Nick, there are three components to – I'm going to do a little Tim McCarver impression here. There are two or three components in baseball, and you have to be good at them to win games. Right. One of them is hitting, right? Yes. you got to be able to score runs. Yes. Another one is when you get leads, you got to have your bullpen be able to hold the leads. Sure. And then probably the most important one of all three is starting pitching. You have to be able to rely on your starting pitchers, your five, four, whatever, or if you're the race in this case, two and a half, to be <laughs> able to, you know, go and give you six six quality innings. And the Red Sox starting pitching staff, I think, is physically on the West Coast right now, but I think their minds and I think their arms are still in Florida. Right. I mean, it's been a it's been a rough go. The first turn through the order for the Red Sox, um, there wasn't really one of those signature performances that we're used to seeing from those arms. This was this is a starting rotation staff that was projected to be elite in top in baseball. And this five game sample that we're sitting on right now has uh, not lived up to that expectation and that hype. I mean, You've got Chris Sale, who's one of the best, uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball, have the worst start of his career. Uh, right. Then you go into Nathan Eovaldi not being able to get into the fifth inning, 
And then you topple that on Eduardo Rodriguez following suit. And then Rick Porcello, who won Cy Young two years ago, uh, was unable to get out of the third inning with a seven-run uh, third inning. So it's, it is early. I'm not ready to start drinking and, uh, you know, lose my mind yet as Boston fans are prone to do. Cause we have, yeah we don't have much patience as a, uh, as a fan, as a fan group, but I am not ready to throw up the, uh, si- throw up the red, uh, sirens just yet. Yeah. I would, I would say, uh, leave the bleach on the shelf for now. <laughs> um, last night, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, April 2nd. Last night, the Red Sox had David Price go for his first start of the year. It wasn't a quality start, to be fair, uh, but it, it was encouraging in the fact that he got through the fifth inning, having only given up a couple of runs, which doesn't sound great on the surface, but <laughs> but it uh, compared to the compared to the the other four, it was a breath of fresh air. Hopefully for the Red Sox tonight with uh, Chris Sale, he can he can set things right, break the losing streak, and um, set a little bit of an example for the rest of the rotation. I uh, I'd be willing to put the mortgage that I don't have yet on the fact that Chris Sale will go seven innings strong tonight. He's a leader. He's he he's obviously one of the premier pitchers in baseball, and I have no doubt that he's gonna that he's gonna deal in a uh, a quality performance tonight. And I think I think. Once the rest of the rotation staff sees Chris Sale go on the mound, settle in, not give up many runs, and give a really quality performance, I think everybody else will start to follow suit and settle in. But we're gonna we need the first one. I mean, Dave, like you said last night, David Price. I mean, he went five innings with only giving up two solo shots, which is absolutely something you can live with. The Red Sox bats were dormant yesterday, which has not been the case. They've certainly scored enough runs uh, against the Mariners in the in the past week to be able to win some games but i think once chris sale settles in i think it'll set the president for everybody else to follow suit the the one thing i do want to say though is i have no complaints right now early into the season about the red sox bullpen i know that a couple runs have been given up but none of those games have been close and competitive and the guys that are really going to matter going through the bulk of the season like Ryan Brazier and Matt Barnes have sh- have shown no problems with being able to come into to games and get to, get out so far. So that that early concern uh does not seem to be true so far. Right, and that that is a good thing for the Red Sox because uh we hold strong to the belief that Craig Kimbrell will eventually reunite with the Red Sox at some point mm-hmm. soon. That being said, um it's it's possible they won't need him because, like you mentioned, the guys the Red Sox do have haven't looked bad so far. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Um, we're only a few games into the season. Usually you don't get, you know, a full turn of the rotation that goes this bad, but um, it, it's going to correct itself pretty soon here. And the rest of baseball will be looking up at the Red Sox and the standings. I have to think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The, uh, it, it's, it's always the start of the season. I mean, this is why you can't react too early to things. It's not football. There's not, you know, you don't, you don't play 16 games in the regular season and every Sunday is crucial. But uh, right. as, as we've said many times and this old saying still lends true, you, you cannot win a division in April, but you can sure as hell lose one. 
Right. And and what helps the Red Sox in that respect is that their mortal enemy, the New York Yankees, have also struggled to start the season. So it'd be one thing if the Red Sox already were behind five or six games, but um right now they're not they're not dead in the water. They just need to win a couple series and get back on track. I agree. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, there are good things happening in Boston. Mm-hmm. And um, the first one happened a little while ago. Uh, two two big extensions for key Red Sox players. The first one was Chris Sale, who signed, uh, honestly, a fair or team-friendly deal, rather, uh, keeping him... I believe it's for the next six years. Is that right? Yeah. So the deal starts next year and it's a five-year extension um, for, you know, really a, a very team-friendly deal. I mean, and that that's going to go into suit with the next extension that we're going to talk about. But the only, the only real concerns with Chris Sale, obviously, is the longevity and being able to stay healthy and keep that arm healthy throughout the entire year. I know people were concerned and it was mentioned at nauseum by Matt Baskersian and Alex Rodriguez on ESPN. Uh, right. about the velocity being down but this is game that was game one of 162 I the last thing I want is Chris Sale going out and throwing 101 and then having his arm be a noodle in July yeah it's it's better for the Red Sox for Chris Sale to build up his endurance and put together a healthy campaign mm-hmm. as they try to to um, defend their championship the other extension this one just happened a couple days ago, Xander Bogarts, the underrated star shortstop for the Red Sox, has signed a contract to stay long-term. This deal was – I mean, you get Chris Sale last week, and as a Red Sox fan, you're you're thrilled. Uh, the plan, obviously, the premier plan, if everything goes perfectly, is to extend Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts. But, you know, in baseball, it's hard especially free agency and guys wanting to see how much money they can get. It's very rare that you find guys that are willing to sign team-friendly deals, especially within a week of each other, as important as Xander Bogarts and Chris Sale are to, to the Red Sox. The thing, the thing that was so amazing to me is that when a guy signs a, a six-year extension for $132 million and doesn't try to you know, get as much money as possible and wants to build a team and wants to be in Boston, it just it, – it, it makes you look so – like good to your to your home franchise and and what it says about you as a person and as and as a competitor and as a teammate it it just speaks volumes everybody loves Xander Bogarts nobody has a bad thing to say about him and when Chris Sale and Xander both signed their extensions and had their press conferences they had pretty much every starter and all of the everyday players in in that press room near the back to see them go through their press conference and when you see that kind of stuff as a team and as somebody who watches them, it, it, it gives a lot of good faith that these guys actually like being around each other and are, you know, an actually collective group that all cares about each other. Right. Yeah, it, it is it is a good thing. And I think it's good not only for the Red Sox, but good for baseball to see guys stick with the team, buy into the culture, buy into their teammates. And uh, it's not like these guys are signing for pennies on the dollar. They're getting properly paid, but it's a little bit of a departure from what we've seen with 
some of the other young, talented players going after the money. I think this recent wave of extensions is kind of some pushback where we, we're seeing some players say, hey, you know what? I don't need to go looking after every single dollar. I'll just get a fair deal and stay where I am. And I, and I think I like that a lot. I think that's one of the things that makes baseball so awesome is that you get these star players on your team and you're not worried about losing them the way you are, for example, in the NBA. In baseball, uh, it's, it's really good to see talented guys stick with the team and get to root for them for year after year, years and years to come. Well, that's that's well said. And, and the other thing I go back to is like, especially with Xander. I mean, you're talking. I mean, this is a two-time World Series champion. He is a top five shortstop in baseball. Right. He, he doesn't have he doesn't have a lick of ego, and he signs a six-year deal for 132 million dollars. And it, you're you're looking at just over 20 million a year for a top five sh- shortstop. And it's right. I'm, and he could have he could have potentially got a deal in the in the ballpark of Machado on the open market. Um, but that wasn't his prerogative. He, he wasn't, uh, with, with no offense intended to Manny Machado, um, Machado definitely was looking for the highest contract, whereas Xander Bogarts was looking for the right fit, the right team, the right guys, and that happened to be the team that he was on. So uh, I want to congratulate not only the Red Sox and the two players also want to congratulate Dave Dombrowski yes. who's having an excellent 10 day stretch, not only celebrating the world series win that he built in, I think it was three years. Is that right? It was about three or two and a half. Um, not only celebrating that, but also extending his guys and uh, trying to keep the nucleus of, of this champion team together. So hats off to him. Not only did he prove he can, put together a team he's proven that he can keep that team together year after year no question I think like you said I think that that speaks to the culture that they have there it's not easy to live in Boston in the middle of January sure and with the expectations and the media being so on top of you all the time it's really hard to be successful in that type of environment and not many people are cut out for it so the front office to being able to keep players and not only keep them and not overspend for them, but have them do team friendly deals and build that type of culture. I think it really speaks volumes. Me stepping even outside of being a Red Sox fan. I mean, just looking at this objectively, I think it really speaks to the culture that they've set up there because you don't see that in a lot of areas in a lot of places. That's that's true. It it definitely reflects well on the franchise that uh, they're getting all these guys to really buy in and, and we love to see it. So now we're going to move on to another team of champions. This was, of course, the 2017 World Series winners, the Houston Astros. Um, the Astros looked great on opening day. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of fell off. Yeah, you can't score six runs in four games. I Listen, I understand. We complimented Tampa Bay. They deserve all the credit. I mean, they pitched their asses off during that series. And, and like we said, it's early. But this is a team that's expected to dominate a division once again. And God knows they have the tools for it. And they, I mean, really as a collective looked pretty lost 
over that over that series stretch and, and just not coming out the gate strong, which is kind of what was surprising about the Red Sox as well is the pitching with the Red Sox, the hitting with the Astros. It's these these right. premier teams you expect to come out and just be world beaters. And that's that's one of the reasons that we love baseball. It's because we can sit here and predict things and go off numbers that we looked at last year. But at the end of the day, you got to play the games. Right. And um, one thing that I, I believe is important to note here is that um, the Astros, they're a home run heavy team and they have been uh, ever since they, they put together this current group. Um, those six runs uh, that they've scored, um, six runs in their first four games, um, the team has six home runs. So, I mean, um, it's not it's not a great look when your runs are coming primarily from the home run and primarily from solo home runs. Now, uh, we don't expect this to continue. I mean, we, we, we look at the Astros and see a lot of talented guys, but it's definitely worrying that the offense is only showing up when it's a solo home run. Yeah, you got to be able to get people on base and move runners around, and that's that's one of the things that has become crucial in this in this day and age of baseball. I mean, you've seen it right with the teams that have been really successful in the Cubs recently. You've got, um, I mean, you have the Royals who really kind of invented this new wave of like we don't have to have a team of you know forty home run hitters that you know just you know get a walk here, a bloop, and a blast, and you're going to win some games. It's Right. taking the extra base on a first to third it's it's getting on and, and stealing second with an out all those kind of little things moving runners over that the really good teams are good at and that's where you sort of separate yourself I mean we're in this day and age where we're always fascinated with how how far a ball goes and the launch angle and home runs but at the end of the day it's if nobody's on base and you're hitting a home run and you're down six six runs it still only counts as one it doesn't matter how far it goes that's a fair point. Um, also, a couple more stats to look at here with Houston. Um, nobody on their team has scored more than two runs. Um, seeing a very, very slow start from Jose Altuve, which is not good, especially when you consider he had injury issues last year. A mm-hmm. um, little bit of a slow start from Bregman. The guys that are really getting it done for them are Michael Brantley, which is was, good to see. It's good to see because um, Brantley in years past has been one of the best underrated left fielders. So it's good to see him succeeding in a new place. And then a guy you and I have had questions about, Carlos Correa. He's actually been their most consistent guy so far. Of course, that's only in two games, but... Um, he's been the guy that has actually been getting the job done uh, more often than not for them. So we'll keep an eye on the Astros. Again, it's another case of we don't expect them to continue to struggle. Uh, as soon as they get their offense figured out, they should be fine. They haven't played horribly. They're just not collecting wins at the rate we think they will. The 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 main concern, I think, that we, we talked about in the preseason uh, analysis of them is we know they're going to hit the the two big problems are are Brantley and Carlos Correa and the rest of the team are they going to be able to be able to play you know 150 plus games 
And is right. is that pitching staff going to be able to hold up? Because I don't I don't have any doubt they're going to be able to score runs and outplay people, but I do worry about the longevity and the health of their starting rotation and if that they'll be able to hold up their end. Right. Fair point. Fair point. So we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll talk about some more surprising starts across baseball, some injury updates, and what the heck is going on with all these home runs. Yes, sir. All right. Okay, and we are back, and we are ready to talk about some more surprising starts from this first weekend of baseball. Let's start in the NL East, where the Phillies sit atop of the division 3-0. and They swept the Braves on opening weekend. Surprised or not surprised? Uh, I don't think I'm surprised. I think I'm surprised at a sweep. But, I mean, you look at this lineup, I mean, this is – there aren't a lot of holes going into this lineup. And we, we kind of talked about that before, before the season started. I mean, this this is a team that's more than capable of winning the division. And it's not surprising to me starting off at starting off against the Braves that they'd be able to get on to a fast start. Those, those, were, those were in Philly, right? Those were in Philadelphia. That's correct. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we've seen the Phillies definitely jump out quick here. Um, we talked about in the offseason all the additions they've made, uh, chief among them, of course, Bryce Harper. But um, if, if we're looking at the guys who are getting it done for them, it's been a hot start for Harper in Philadelphia. Um, he's got hitting 333. He's got a couple of home runs already. Of course, they were solo home runs, but still, um, he's taken his walks, and the the meat of that order is getting it done. Harper, Hoskins, and Real Muto are all off to really hot starts, driving in runs. And then I think the surprising one, the question mark, the biggest question mark was Mikel Franco, and I think it's safe to say he's been their best player through three games. Yeah, I mean they. I mean they've started out with like world beaters. I mean I think everybody, everybody in Philadelphia is really was really excited, really up for you know acquiring Bryce Harper and getting him acclimated into the lineup. And I think everybody's kind of feeding off of that energy right now. You, I mean, you have a situation where if you start the game off by walking Andrew McCutcheon, right, and and somebody gets on base with Harper Hoskins. Franco and Real Muto coming up in the order. I mean, you're you're getting yourself into a hole real quick as a pitcher. And the last thing you want to do is before you even come up to bat or through two innings, be down already by two runs. And that's what this team can do to you. They they have instant offense in those four guys that were mentioned, and they've built this team to make a run at the division and make a run into deep into the deep postseason. And, we don't know how this is how this team's going to look, you know, with you know injury possibilities, things like that. How many, how long guys are going to be able to stay healthy? But I mean, if this lineup stays consistent and healthy, I mean, they're going to be a heck of a team, and they're going to be hard to beat. That's a good point. I have to agree with you. Yeah. So, like you were saying, um, with the Phillies here, I think one of the question marks that we've talked about is pitching, and so far that has not been an issue. No. Aaron Nola's gotten off to a good start. You got a, you got a resurging 2016 start out of Jake Arrieta on on, uh, on Sunday Night Baseball, who looked who looked good. 
Right. Uh, the, uh, six walks, though. Not not six not, walks in six innings. And then uh, you look at Nola, five walks in six innings. Um, it worked against the Braves. It's not going to work if they keep up that pace. No, you can't pitch like that going into going into the dog days of of summer. The that's going to be the question mark, the depth issues of starting rotation in in Philly, and then uh, going in and seeing how the bullpen responds. I mean, they they have a strong bullpen. I mean, you got you got David Robertson right in in the offseason who has shown the ability to be able to close out games solid. You got Dominguez who could be a reliable eighth inning guy. We don't have enough of a sample size because he was a rookie last year, and then sure. Pat Neshek. Who who is a proven you know middle reliever, right? But the the only real question marks that I have about this team is there's going to be games where they don't hit or they don't pitch well. But I just think there's too much talent on this team for them not to be competitive. Oh, all absolutely. Year. But eventually, what I think is eventually you're going to run into some games where Reese Hoskins is not you know hitting all of these home runs and Bryce Harper's going through a slump. And the reality is is that this team is going to be predicated off being able to have instant offense with the home runs. And if they're not having guys get on base and their pitchers are walking people, I mean, it won't be surprising if quality well-put-together teams like the Braves and the Nationals make them pay in stretches of the season. Right. I think that's a fair point. I, I don't know if uh, how indicative this first series between the Phillies and the Braves is. Um, I mean, we, we've seen the, – the Braves actually didn't have much of an issue – keeping up offensively it was their pitching that sort of let them down a little bit that being said um we we should talk about how the the Mets have looked good as well early on in their first series yeah they they have looked good I mean they were hitting like I think we talked about before though I mean last year they started out 14 and 2 and then they kind of regressed back through the rest of the year to kind of finish in that 500 type of area, which is what I see them doing there. They don't have a, a lot of notable players. I know they got Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz got, got sent over from Seattle. But the the reality is, is that this team is, is young in a lot of places. And then they have some aging veterans that are over their prime. Right. And I don't know how consistent they're going to be able to be going in once we get a better uh, once we get farther into the season. Right. And we've seen early on here with the Mets, the additions that they've made have looked good. I mean, Wilson Ramos hitting the cover off the ball. Robinson Cano had the two key RBIs in, in their opening day win. And Edwin Diaz has looked every bit as good as he did last year so far. But when we when we look across across the team, I think there is a lot of unproven talent. I'm th- thinking of guys like Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, even Michael Conforto, guys that ha- have have the potential, but it's it's going to be interesting to see if they all pan out. Um, wanted to talk. Degrom looked like he did last year in Game One. He was outstanding, yep. shutting out the Nationals. Um, Cindergard though, Cindergard looked hittable. I always worry about him just because of how hard he throws. He's throwing upper nineties consistently. He's got that slider cutter thing, sometimes hitting 92, 93. I which just, is not, which is not a slider, which Sorry, is, I know you're going to say it's not a slider as we've talked about. It's a cutter, but, uh, I just worry about him because 
the maximum effort on every pitch for him has cost him starts in the past, and I don't want to see it continue. But uh, one thing we've talked about before with him, it's excellent when you're throwing 97 plus, but when you don't command that that pitch, you're going to get hit. And then we saw that on Saturday against the Nationals. They did hit him a little bit. So we'll, we'll see. That's uh, that's the the really the star power on the Mets is on their pitching staff. They've got those two guys. They've got Edwin Diaz as the closer. And they've got a mixture of aging veterans and unproven players offensively. So one thing from seeing going to the game on Saturday, the Nationals versus the Mets, one thing that is clear is that Brandon Nimmo has a plethora of talent. Yes. And he- hearing the sound – of the way the ball comes off the bat for that kid, that kid is going to be an all-star. And I don't even think the Mets know it yet. I think, is... I think the Mets don't know it, which is funny because over the last couple of years, he's developed into arguably their best player. He's he, the, the pop that comes off his bat, he's able to play the outfield well. I mean, this kid is probably their best position player and in, in the brightest spot of this team going forward. And he's getting double switched out in the in the middle of the sixth inning with the reliever on a double switch, right? And, and taking a bat out of his hand. That's concerning, especially when we look at on Sunday. It was a one run game, and you don't know how important each at bat is, but you want to maximize the number of at bats your best player gets. And yet he's sitting on the bench with definitely another at bat to go, and with Trey Turner saving the Nationals on a walk-off, I mean, you don't know if Brandon Nimmo gets another at-bat to maybe do something. You're, right. taking, you're taking it out of his hands. And I got to question those tactics from Mickey Calloway. Yeah, I, I didn't like it either. Um, we were kind of confused at the time. And, yeah, of course, it's just one game, but it's definitely something to look at. You don't want your manager taking your best player out of the game for basically no reason. Well, switch out Michael Conforto or Keon Broxton. I mean, take, take, right, that's that's right. fine. Take one of those guys out. But Brandon Nimmo, my lord. Yeah, Nimmo should not be the guy that comes out of the game there. So uh, moving forward, um, this is one of our favorite teams, the Baltimore Orioles. I the think Baltimore uh, Orioles. I think we both agree that uh, this is the bottom of the barrel in baseball this year and yet they're three and one on the year world beaters i've talked about world beaters on this podcast so far there is nothing like the orioles mariners cannot hold a candlestick to the bonfire that is burning in downtown baltimore right now and i'm not talking about riots i'm talking (laughs) about the baltimore orioles putting on a show i mean this has been an outstanding outstanding start for Baltimore. I think you and I both believe that they're a 60-win talented team. 60 loss. So, so, yeah, it's, it's starting to look more like triple-digit wins because <laughs> they're just – they're going after it this year. Um, when, you, when you got guys like <laughs> Trey Mancini, okay? Yeah, and that's Jonathan a real person. VR. That's Jonathan a real person. VR. <laughs> bolstering this lineup, okay, getting things done, moving runners over, hitting bombs, okay, the thing that you're going to come to realize that the Red Sox, the Yankees, Tampa Bay, God forbid, I, I 
am shaking at the thought of having the Boston Red Sox march into downtown Baltimore. I mean, at this point, you just have to hope that both the Orioles and the Red Sox can make the playoffs because, man, it, it's rough. You got you got a real good division there, one through five. The, re- the reality of the situation is if our worst team is starting out the year three and one, look out the rest of Major League Baseball. <laughs> look out. That's a fair point, honestly. Um, I think there's not much to be said here. This is just okay. a in a a strange series from the Yankees who should have swept them. And congratulations to the Orioles. Uh, hold every win tight and kiss it before you go to bed because there's not going to be a lot of those this year. Remember when we talked about saying you can lose the division in April? When you yes. lose three out of four to the Orioles, those are games that come back to bite you in August. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, when we look at the Red Sox and the Yankees, uh, this division could come down to a, a game or two with as talented as they are. You don't want those two games to be the ones you threw away against the Orioles. I can only hope in having conversations with friends that are Yankees fans to look them in the eyes and tell them that the reason the Angels made the wild card and <laughs> and, the, and the reason the Yankees didn't were the opening series in, against Baltimore at their at, at, in New York. Yeah, that's not a that's not a very comforting thought for Yankees <laughs> fans out there. Yeah, that's that's kind of scary. So, um We'll move on. One more, one more surprising start we have here. Last year, the Cubs tied for the best record in the NL Central, ended up losing game 163 and then losing in the wild card. But coming into the year, many among us believed they were the most talented team in their division. They started off one and three, and we're going to have to talk about it. The Texas Massacre. Texas Massacre. The uh, if you were watching this game on 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 Saturday or was it Sunday? It was Sunday. The, if you're watching this game on Sunday as the Cubs, you maybe you're not familiar with the Texas Rangers. I'd be happy to explain for for those Cubs fans and the NL people out in the world who the Texas Rangers are. Uh, the Texas Rangers are a Triple A baseball team that got. Yes. Uh, permission by Rob Manfred in the commissioner's office to play in major league baseball this year. They, their yes. entire offense is predicated on hitting solo home runs and striking out 20 times a game. Yes. And they did the unthinkable on Sunday. They managed through many defensive blunders from the Cubs managed to come all the way back. I think they were down. I think it was down 10, four at one point, come back, tie the game and then get a double from none other than Joey Gallo to come around and score the winning run. That, if you are a Cubs fan, makes you want to go into your laundry room and find some bleach. Yeah. Yeah, it was not It was not what they were looking for. Um, it was the walk-off wild pitch. Is that the game we're talking about? Yeah, and about? Joey Gallo comes in to score. By the way, it yeah. takes Joey Gallo half an hour to run from – from first base to third, it, the fact that he's scored yeah. on a wild pitch it might be the might be the most incredible part of this entire thing. I just have to give Joey Gallo credit. He went two for five on Sunday, 
I didn't know he could make contact twice in a game. Rangers fans are not going to like hearing this podcast. But the, the reality of the situation is <laughs> they're probably shaking their hand, heads in agreement right now because they know we're right. Right. I mean, uh, the, the strange thing with Joey Gallo is he has such good power in his bat. He's like three good decisions away from being an all-star level player. Mm-hmm but he just refuses to to change those things about his game that are bad. The uh the the bats are leaving something uh to be desired to say the least. Uh going 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 for the Cubs are going to be fine, but yeah. It, you're in a very 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 competitive division with St. Louis and and the Brewers right now that are all that are looking really good right now and as we've talked about you you need to start off well in a division that's going to be tight like this. Since it's there, there are not games to give away to bad baseball teams to start the year. And you can, you can sit there in your chair and at home uh, and think to yourself in Arlington, Texas, well, you know, we're just starting, we're just starting out the year, you know, uh, you know, Chicago going into Chicago, not a big deal, but the reality of the situation is when, as the Cubs fans, you need to, you need to win these games against bad teams. And when when your team is messing up, you know, in the field, and you're giving away runs like this. It's not. It's it's kind of concerning. Oh, I have to agree completely. Um, it's been a weird opening weekend for pretty much every team. But that being said, you can't let games like those slip away too often. It's okay to lose a series to a bad team. It's going to happen to even the best teams, but. If you're the Cubs, you're not going to be happy, especially with the inconsistency on defense. One of the things that helped the Cubs become contenders year after year is the emphasis they put on playing good defense. So seeing them commit errors out there is not encouraging. Uh, Joe Madden, is, he's going to fix this, though. He's going to bring in uh, a carnival on the road. They're going to they're gonna get to pet, you know, giraffes in, in the clubhouse. They're going to be able to have, you know, boa constrictors, you know, stretching across the entire team. And they're all going to they're all going to get together right. on the same page and they won't have this happen, you know, come come the rest of the year. But Joe Madden's going to have to get a carnival to come into the locker room yeah. and, and fix this problem. That, the only thing standing between the Cubs and a World Series is a carnival. Right you can put that you can put that in writing. Put it on the board. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to some uh, some unfortunate news. Um, some it's early in the season. We've already got some star players on the disabled list. Um, maybe the the most important one here, Francisco Lindor. He's expected to miss a few more weeks. This- and my my question to you is. How big of a deal is this for the Indians? Well, it's a big deal. I mean, not only is he your best player, but he's he's solely in charge of jump-starting your offense. And Cleveland is anemic right now at the plate. They have managed to win. They are 2-2 two and two right now to start. But the reality is, is that's their best player. That's the guy that makes the engine run. And Jose Ramirez has not shown the ability to be able to be the guy to, to carry this right. team so far. And Francisco Lindor is bad. It's bad that he's out for Cleveland, but it's it's bad for baseball because watching that guy play every day, both in the field and at the plate, is truly a blessing. And not having him out there is 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 not good. It's sad to it's sad to see that because you've got probably the best shortstop 
the last two years, hits from both sides of the plate for average power, drives in run skills, bases. I mean, he's everything you want in a baseball player, and Cleveland needs right. him bad. Oh, I, I, I agree 100%. Uh, we need to see Lindor back out there. He's one of the few bright spots in the AL Central. So uh, we wish him a speedy recovery. Moving on, Clayton Kershaw starting in AAA. Expected to be back soon. Um, how badly do the Dodgers need him back? Oh, re- really badly. I mean, it, this has been a concern, obviously, throughout the latter part of Kershaw's career and having these the back issues, the the arm trouble. It, it always seems to have something creep up in, in parts of the season, but it always feels like it happens in the middle of the season. But to right. start out the year, I mean, the Dodgers are missing their ace, and they've been able to not skip a beat without him. But there are definitely some long-term concerns with Kershaw's uh, durability and having him continue to have these nicks and have these, you know, missed couple weeks here, miss a month here because of a back, a neck, a shoulder, whatever it is. I mean, this is a Hall of Fame level pitcher, and yeah, if they want to, ha- if they want to be successful again in a in a very competitive NL West, he needs to be healthy. And I I think if you're I think if you're the Dodgers, you need to start really having the conversation of what type of workload he's going to be able to take on as he continues to get older and having, if, if he can be healthy and they're not pushing him because it's the beginning of the season and he can, once he comes back, stay healthy and pitch through the season, this will be a blimp on the radar. But the problem is, is this seems to be a reoccurring theme. Yeah. And for the Dodgers, we know they're talented. They've started off the year the right way. They have guys that can, patch up the starts that are that Kershaw misses they have a good offense but if this team's ever going to get over the hump and win the World Series it's going to be because Kershaw's healthy and Kershaw's helped him get there and it just it doesn't look great going forward for how much time he's been missing lately so we'll keep an eye on him in AAA see when he comes up the next set of news a couple of guys going down for the Yankees. John uh, Carlos Stanton with a biceps injury going to be out potentially the rest of this month. Um, my question is, how important is Stanton to that lineup? Because we know they have the phenomenon, if you will, Aaron Judge. Are they going to miss Stanton? Well, you don't need your arms to hit baseballs. The that's true. Well, they say it's all on your legs, it's all on your butt, and it's in it's in turning your hips, right? That's right. But why is it that every time we see Giancarlo swing a bat, it all looks like it's coming from his torso and his arms? Well, he has a very, very um, specific swing path. And, of course, it helped him win an MVP award a couple years ago. But it also is the reason that he – is generally towards the top of the league leaderboards and strikeouts. This is this is a problem for the Yankees who have already missing who are already missing Didi Gregorius. He's arguably their most consistent player outside of Judge. Um, I mean, Stanton being out at any stretch of time is big for for this team. Uh, I know that it was a little bit of a down year last year uh, in production, but I mean, any time that he's missing is just another hole that the Yankees have to fill in their lineup and they're already struggling with injuries going in from, like I said, Didi Gregorius in the last season. Uh, and the issue, the issue with this as well is that the Yankees are a very 
competitive, very talented young team, but they need offense to be successful because that's how they that's how they've chosen to build this team. They haven't predicated it on pitching, which I don't think is any secret to anybody that knows baseball. It's probably the most important part of your team. Uh, but Stan being out is just another hole in this lineup that's going to have to be filled by an unproven rookie uh, or right. Luke Foyt. So make of that what you will. Right. Yeah. Put put your hopes for the season on Luke Voigt. Um, the the other injury news: this is potentially a season ender for Miguel Andujar. Um, according to the report from MLB.com, they're gonna see how he is in a couple weeks, monitor the labrum injury, and decide whether he needs season-ending surgery. In my opinion, this is pretty much a disaster this is this is heartbreaking and and as much as I don't you know as much as my bias towards the Yankees I I do like to guys to see guys play well even if they're our rivals having Miguel and Duhar be out potentially for the entire year obviously already losing Didi Gregorius the left side of that infield is anemic and the and the issue also is that Miguel and Duhar arguably was their healthiest best player last year I mean Judge is obviously their best player but he was out for a month and a half last year dealing with a hand injury and Miguel and Duar over 40 over 40 doubles last year big big rookie potential rookie of the year candidate last year and really a, a huge right. part of that offense and if he's missing out of that lineup you're really now starting to starting to have to piece together how you're going to build this lineup and build this team because him being out it could be a major blow to them yeah, I have to agree. And Duhar was probably the most impressive uh, day-to-day performer for them when he uh, starting with when he came up last year. He's definitely a bright spot for them going into the future. Um, we don't know yet how long this injury is going to sideline him, but uh, this is not good for the Yankees. Uh, can't can only say it so many ways, but uh, anytime a guy goes out and you have more more pressure on Troy Tulowitzki to save your season. Uh, not a good thing as the Toronto Blue Jays can tell you. Yeah, it's, it's it, that, that it's good that they went out and signed depth, but the plan was certainly not to have Troy Tulowitzki having meaningful at bats through stretches of a season. Right. And um, we'll, we'll see how it goes for the Yankees, but that's two of their most important players out for the time being. Um, never a good thing when you're, you're a playoff hopeful team um another one here we have uh this is some some red Sox news here um tell me about tell me about what we're looking at here with steve pierce and dustin pedroia so steven uh dustin both yes i'm referring to them by their first names seeing as i am a part they are a part of my family uh Stephen Pierce, Steve, Steve Pierce, and Dustin Pedroia both didn't make the opening day roster. Steve's dealing with a calf injury, and Dustin Pedroia is still trying. They're being cautious with Dustin and his knee. Both of them are going to be starting out in AAA uh, just for some rehab games uh, to kind of get back in the swing of things. I know that Dustin Pedroia is likely on track to rejoin the team when they get back from the West Coast to start their uh, home opener. Um, right. I'm confident that. And I like I know Dustin Madrea hates the idea of, of missing more time, but I like the idea of him 
taking his time, making sure he's a full 100% ready to go, and then being able to have him through major stretches of the season. I don't expect him to play, you know, over 125 games, but I do want him once he's back to stay back. And the other thing that's kind of under the radar with Steve Pierce is that one of the things that has made the Red Sox so successful and Alice Cora is the depth that they've possessed to be successful last year. I mean, I don't need to talk about how he played in the postseason and how crucial he was, but being able to have the lefty-righty matchups at first base, to have Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce platoon that right. area and be able to create those matchups coming off the bench in late innings really gives the Red Sox an extra tool uh, for their lineup and for day-to-day because Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce are at the point in their careers where they're not expected to be everyday guys, but they can be really used at their strengths when they're being platoon and they're getting every other day kind of action. And it's vital that they come back. So that I expect them to both be rejoining the team on the homestand when they get back from the West Coast. Right, and that should help the Red Sox especially – um, looking at obviously offense hasn't been the issue for the most part, but anytime you get regular contributors back, it's a good thing, I think. And um, we saw the Red Sox without Dustin Pedroia win a World Series. Any positive stuff you get out of him this year, it seems like it's just icing on the cake. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for those two guys to be rejoining the team pretty soon. One more injury we have to talk about. And in my opinion, this is a pretty significant one. Daniel Murphy of the Colorado Rockies, it's looking like uh, he's going to miss a month now. And I, I just think this is a this is a really rough one for the Rockies because Murphy was their number two batter to start out the season. And um, we've seen actually ever since he started missing some time, Already, the Rockies' offense looks a lot worse. Yeah, listen, you're not you before the injuries. With the injuries, you're not going to get a lot of production from him from the second base, seeing as he's playing in a wheelchair. Uh, right. They they've been they've been playing him mainly at first base. Um, well, that's true. They moved him over. A, my fault. Which is a smart. No, that's okay. Um, I, I don't ex- exactly expect you to. Um, I don't expect expect anybody except. Ryan McMahon's parents to be thinking about him very often. So, <laughs> um, no offense to Ryan, of course, but, um, yeah, w- without Murphy in the lineup, it's not like they don't have other guys that can fill in there, but, um, I mean, we've seen for a couple years in a row there, Murphy was one of the better hitters in the national league. No question. The, the, the reality of the Rockies is that they're going to have to pitch well from starting pitching and they're going to have to hit and you can hit in that ballpark, but you're going to have to be healthy because this, this is another team kind of like the Phillies that has instant offense and guys like Nolan Arenado, yeah. Trevor story, Charlie Blackman, David Dahl. I mean, you've got guys that can really hit the ball, but the problem is you got, you don't have a lot of guys that are just guaranteed when they set up up to the plate to just, you know, have that, you know, one, two single to drive in a run or to get a rally going. And, and Daniel Murphy is crucial in that because he's shown the ability when he's healthy to be constantly getting on base, moving the lineup and and moving runners in and over. And he's, he's a talented top of the premier when healthy hitter in the National yeah. League. And he's vital to any to any team. Uh, and when he's not in the lineup, he's missed. Absolutely. So we'll keep an eye also on Daniel Murphy looking for a bounce back here in Colorado. It's going to have to start in May for him because he's out for 
the foreseeable future. Um, This is something we've got to talk about here. Um, As you put it, it's been a home run derby so far. It, uh, if you think that MLB hasn't been juicing balls since the start of the 2016 season, you're out of, you're out of your mind because yeah, through the first 67 games of the year that have been played so far, counting the two games in Tokyo, uh, there have been a, an inordinate 162 total home runs hit in really five days of baseball, which is a yeah. ton. And you're averaging 2.4 home runs a game. And I know what you're saying. Like, Jake, at the start of the season, you know, people are, you know, up and up and pitchers aren't really in a swing, I think, yet. That's true. But guys aren't supposed to be hitting home runs in 32-degree weather in March. Right. And um, just to mention the home runs per game the last couple years, 1.15 last year, 1.25 the previous year. So we're looking at twice the home run production over the last couple of years, which have already been good home run years for baseball. Well, 20, 2017 was the most in baseball. And this year, I mean, just to start out, we're already at 2.4 home runs a game in any game that's being played in baseball right now. And that, like we said, it's almost a home run more a game, which is, it's almost doubled. And I, we're so, and part of that is because everybody's so fascinated with launch angle and, you know, getting under pitches, driving the ball out of the ballpark. But as we've seen, I mean, the teams that hit the most home runs haven't held up the trophy at the end of the year. That's true. I mean, you've got the Red Sox who were ninth last year in home runs. The year before that, the year before that, you had the Astros who were who were in the top five. But, I mean, that that, that team was predicated on on getting on base, moving run over, runs over doubles, and the home runs came. And then 2016 with the Cubs and 2015 with, with the Royals, I mean – those teams could those teams could hit home runs when they needed, but that wasn't the basis of their offense. I mean, teams like the Yankees that have predicated their entire offense on being able to hit the ball out of the ballpark, it's good, it's flashy, ESPN drools over it in the middle of June. But as we've seen, it doesn't provide long stretches in the postseason because pitchers start to tighten down. You're facing the best of the best every night going in October. And and it's hard, it's it's not easy to hit a ball out of the ballpark in October in 30-degree weather. Right, especially when we get down to playoff time. We usually see pitchers hunker down and uh, give great performances. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's definitely – I don't think it's necessarily a a trend that we're going to see 2.4 home runs over the course of the rest of the season. But, I mean, we're already uh, through – 162 total games um or, or sorry excuse me 162 home runs in was it 67 games yeah. um i mean it's 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 a little ridiculous that we're seeing so many home runs um so we'll we'll keep an eye on if that continues the the one guy that we can blame for this christian yelling oh. four home runs in his first four games he's 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 trying to put his name in record books and this is something that i will never complain about because when christian yelich hits a ball it is not a pop-up that just manages to get out of the ballpark with a little breeze because they play in they play inside uh right when christian yelich hits a ball it's hit really really hard <laughs> right christian christian yelich hitting four home runs in four games is is a is a spectacular storyline to start the year and honestly, when we take over the Bra- uh, the Brewers in the next five to six years, uh, this guy's getting yes. a contract extension. 
This guy's playing till he's six. It is. It is it, his the left handed swing. How he approaches each at bat, it's patient. He's not chasing pitches. I mean, it is. It, I, we love good baseball wherever it's played and for whoever it's played for. And s- seeing him step into a box, he just looks completely in control. And how old is he? I believe twenty. I don't want to lie to you. Let me let me look really let me look real quick. He is of the well. How does that not just come up immediately? Twenty-seven years old. Twenty-seven. Okay, not as young as I thought he was, but he looks he looks like a seasoned veteran when he steps into the plate. He has the presence of it. Oh yeah, and um, I mean, obviously, National League MVP last year. It was a breakout success in Milwaukee, and I don't I don't think it's crazy to say we thought he was going to regress a little bit so far he he's made us eat our words oh uh, there's no question i think he listened to the podcast and he's like he's like you thought last year was cool right w- watch watch what i got for you this year no it, it, the brewers are a fun team to watch they're definitely going to need his bat all year and and the more yellich production that we get i think it's the better it is not only for us but i think for baseball because that kid is truly special to watch absolutely We'll keep an eye on him trying to break home run records by himself. <laughs> a couple more housekeeping notes here. Um, we'll start with the easy one. Kevin Pillar is headed to the San Francisco Giants. Um, just give me a quick rundown. Who's who's the winner of this trade? Uh, I was not specific. I think it was just for three prospects, if I'm right, right? Right. Um, That's right. I, I listen. I think I think it's a win in both places. Probably more for Toronto because they they fully accepted the the rebuild. Uh, I think they're also building up space. They're they're providing space for Vladdy Jr. when he gets healthy. I know he'll be a spectacle to watch uh, yeah. when he comes up and he's healthy. I I think it's good for Toronto because if you're going to embrace your if you're going to embrace your rebuild and you're going to try to get the most out of what you have, I think sending Kevin Pillar to a team that's willing to, to give up prospects is, is a great move. You, you're building for the future, and you're also getting more for a guy that has shown flashes, and he's a gold-glove winning outfielder, but very, very inconsistent at the plate. Right, yeah. I mean, Pilar, we kind of know who he is. He's a defensive wizard that isn't going to hit, but is going to be worth about two, two and a half wins above replacement. I mean, there's room for that guy on any team. No question. Um, that being said, I don't, I don't think that San Francisco is really helping anything with this trade here. Um, not really sure the direction of their franchise right now. I know with Bruce Bochy set to step down at the end of the year, they'd like nothing more than to make the playoffs one more time. It's not happening. So why not just embrace the rebuild? Well, they're, they're doing kind of the opposite of Toronto, right? It's kind of, they're in that purgatory-like state where they have aging veterans like Evan Longoria and, you know, trying to make a last push for the manager. But in the reality is, is in in the grand scheme of the last decade or so, I mean, they've, they've done wonders in winning three World Series and it's time to, especially as a mid-market like San Francisco, it's time to draft properly, get some prospects, trade away that aging talent. And, and, and start eyeing into the 2020s. And they've shown the ability to be able to do that, but I don't understand why they think with the Dodgers and the Rockies that who have been mainstays in 
uh, postseason contention that they'd be able to compete with that kind of with that caliber of team. Right. So that's so yeah, I, I think that's a a fair analysis there. Uh, it's worth talking about, but uh, this isn't going to move the needle for either team. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be excited to see um, little Vladimir come oh, up. I cannot again. wait. That That's going to be a must-see <laughs> television event. Um, hopefully, uh, it doesn't take him too long to adjust, and we see him uh, get things going pretty quickly. Another housekeeping note, more NL East action. The Braves have extended the reigning Rookie of the Year, Ronald Acuna Jr., to an eight-year, $100 million contract. Um, personally, I think this is just a slam dunk of a contract. That's fantastic. Um, it gets them two extra years after when he would have been a free agent. Uh, it locks him in at a consistent $12.5 million per year, uh, which saves you in those last few arbitration years where he could be making, you know, $20, 25000000 million plus there. No question. Um, just locking up a a really talented young player who showed signs of becoming a star. And uh, I think the Braves deserve a lot of credit there for uh, not only, not only finding him and bringing him up, but uh, getting him to commit to the team long-term. Yeah. I mean, it, it works out for both sides because Acuna's going to be making way more a year now than he, than he would be going through his rookie contract and with arbitration. And then, uh, having, you know, the mainstay of knowing where you're going to be without any question marks for, you know, years to come. And I think also it's fair because he had this great rookie season, but you don't know. Yeah. It, it's a little bit of a gamble to know how, what he's going to be in five years, but it's sure. not too much money. And it certainly won't be too much money to take that risk now, instead of going through those years, fighting an arbitration and then potentially losing him to free agency. Right. That's a good point. And another thing is, um, this is a great time to sign that eight-year deal because he will be 29 years old when he is a free agent again. Yep. Perfect for him. He'll be able to cash in again. Um, just a just a strong deal by the Braves. They, they've completed their rebuild. They made the playoffs last year, and now they've got one of their best players locked up for the next eight years. So good for them. Absolutely. So one thing I want to ask you, um, we're going to um, we're going to break shortly and then um, talk about Bryce Harper's return to DC as the final segment of the podcast. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, besides tonight's game where Harper goes back to DC against Max Scherzer, um, which game or series over the next week or week and a half? Are you looking forward to the most? Uh, so, well, personally, I'll, I'll get this out of the way quick. I'm looking to see Chris Sale obviously get get everything back on track with uh, against Oakland. Uh, another series that I'm excited to look out for is an interleague matchup between the Rockies and the Rays. Uh, you, tonight, yes. you've got Snell versus Freeland, which I think is going to be an absolute pitcher's duel. I'm really excited. If, if you've got MLB.com or you know any of those illegal streams, I definitely suggest tuning into that one. Having which, which we do not recommend. Yeah, we don't do that. I'm just saying we know that that is done. Sure. And if you're going to do that, you should. 
if that's your means <laughs> of watching baseball because we don't want people to be without baseball, Nick. No, we want people watching and enjoying it. And then um, what about you? Go, go. Oh, okay, well, I'm just looking at the early um, top two teams in the NL West. Dodgers and Rockies are going to go at it this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll be a good series to watch. Beyond that, um, we, I believe we're going to also want to keep an eye on Oakland going against Houston this weekend. A couple of uh, playoff teams from last year. We'll see if Houston can bounce back a little bit. We'll see how Oakland react. Kind of a tough, tough slate for Oakland so far this year. Um, they have to go to Tokyo. Then they play the Angels, Mike Trout, yep. right into the Red Sox, and then the Astros. So uh, no, nobody, nobody has ever fair to Oakland, and it's been tough for them. O- uh, Oakland, you won at the schedule. You here. won ninety five games last year, okay, or ninety eight or whatever the hell it was, okay. It's it's time to see what you're made of, all right. No, no complaints. Yeah, throw them into the fire. No excuses. I want. We want to see what you're what you're really made of. So. Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely. And then the, the headliner that we haven't talked about uh, coming up this weekend is the rematch of uh, the opening series against the Orioles and the Yankees. Barn burner, folks. T- yeah, tune in. We're going to be we're going to be looking at just two of the absolute best teams in baseball. Punch for punch. That, that's something I, I was looking at the, the uh, primetime network scheduling for national TV. I am gobsmacked that that is not on a slate every day. Well, it's a shame, and honestly, it's embarrassing. <laughs> look out! Look out for the Orioles, people. Stats on deck told you first. Yeah, we were on the train before anybody else. We we said it first. Um, <laughs> so we'll take a break here. Um, then we'll watch the game with Bryce Harper and Max Scherzer, and then uh, we'll we'll tell you how it went and what we thought and what we're seeing. Absolutely, I ca- I can't wait. Gonna be a good Max one. versus Bryce. What it that's gonna that's gonna be a showdown. Thirteen years of it. I cannot I cannot wait. Okay, we're back a little bit later in the day. Uh we're going coming live to you after the return of Bryce Harper to Nationals Park. The Phillies won the game eight to two. Jake, tell me a little bit about that first at bat when Bryce stepped up to the plate. That is one of the best, like, first week of April moments I've seen with any team in a long, long time. That was that was legitimate playoff atmosphere. I have to agree with you. Um, the boos were raining down from every section. Um, it was a it was it turned out to be a pretty big moment early in the game. Bryce was up with two runners on and nobody out. I believe, or was there one out? There was nobody out. There was nobody out. Two straight singles. So for Max Scherzer, it was time to reach into the, empty the tank a little bit early. And he struck Harper out with a changeup. And that is possibly the happiest I've ever heard Nationals Park. The, uh, going before that at bat, there were a couple interesting things during, well, first of all, there was a rain delay. Right. And if we remember correctly, last year in late September, there was a rain delay in Bryce Harper's last home game at Nats Park. 
There was. Toward, so it was all, it was it was a big continuation almost. Right. And just the only difference is this time he's wearing a Phillies jersey. Yes. Um so there was that kind of, you know, full circle kind of thing. And then they played when they were announcing the lineups, they played a tribute video to Bryce, which I thought was a very classy move by the Nationals. You know, Oh, absolutely. You're not required to do that. And um, going off of that, you, as soon as that gets played, you know, you hear a thunderous amount of booze from the concourses and from the people that enjoy getting wet. Sure. And uh, I think that was a foreshadow for what was to come. Now, Bryce had a press conference in uh in the media with the media earlier i think at three o'clock today and you know he thanked dc which was a classic move he'd posted on his instagram all that good stuff and yeah. he, he i think his comment was you know i expect there to be a smattering of booze and but some applause as well bryce i got news for you <laughs> and i think you heard it too buddy there was a lot of booing yeah uh bryce didn't get what he wanted uh which is funny because uh, if you listen to him talk this offseason, he got everything he wanted. So we had to take a little bit away from him there and try to try to even up the, the score a little bit. Um, the game was a good one through the first five innings. Yep. Max Scherzer and Zach Eflin matched almost pitch for pitch. There was a solo home run by Macal Franco, uh, who, by the way, uh, we should – spend a minute or so talking about how great Franco's been to start the year. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers here. 545 average. He was on base five times in five tries tonight. Um, batting eighth, but making his presence known. One thing one thing that I find interesting is for a guy with that much power, and like when I, when I you know, come across a Phillies game or they're on ESPN and you watch him hit like a 450-foot bomb to left center field, Right at at in Citizens Bank, the thing I find so interesting is he hits like the weakest, laziest fly balls to left field at Nats Park, and they always find a way to get out. Oh yeah, he's he's been one of the one of the um, I guess you could call him a Nat killer early in his career. Um, I think I think it's interesting that he's batting eighth because he has so much potential as a power guy in the middle of the lineup. Obviously, yep. the Phillies added. Um, a few key bats there that had to push him down in the lineup. But, um, and we've been talking about this for the last week or so. Uh, when you look up and down that Phillies lineup, there are not a lot of easy outs. No, there's not a lot of holes in that lineup. Uh, but going into that Max Scherzer at bat, I mean, I was sitting at home watching it on my TV with my right. girlfriend, and my heart was kind of beating out of my chest. Um, regardless of like, which side you're rooting for that was an FP Sant'Angelo, uh, the color commentator for the nationals had mentioned earlier on the radio uh, today that he was genuinely excited for this matchup and is for years to come because you're talking about one of the better young hitters in baseball going up against the premier pitcher in all of baseball. Right. And anytime that happens, regardless of your team's affiliation, regardless of your feelings of Bryce Harper nationals, the Philly Soviet, that was electrifying, and that's part of what makes baseball so great, especially in the first week of April. I mean, that was legitimately playoff baseball in the first week of the season. Oh, yeah, I have to agree with you. This was, for the first half of this game, this was about as close to playoff baseball as you'll get 
in early April. Um, so Scherzer ended up striking Harper out both times they faced each other. Um, actually, did they face each other a third time? They did. That was the double. That was the that was um, that was unfortunate from my perspective. But um, so Max got got the better of him the first two times. Unfortunately uh, for the Nationals, the issue persisted in the fact that the bullpen continues to blow games. They've had an issue of, of giving up runs early in the season. And for Nationals fans um, and for people that follow the Nats, it, it's kind of it, – it's, it's not concerning yet because, like we said, we're so early into the season. But when you're having flashbacks of last year with the bullpen struggles and being – you know, you can make arguments last year they were being overtaxed because the starting pitching wasn't going deep enough into games. But sure. that, kind of, that kind of memory of them, you know, blowing games or giving up, you know, large crooked numbers in sixth, seventh, eighth inning, you're starting to see that trend again this year. I It's concerning initially, but I think that there's too much talent in that bullpen. And once they get settled in, I don't think we'll be seeing that as much. I mean, no bullpen is perfect, but to start the season, there's definitely been an issue of coming into games and, and not being able to have clean innings. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's going to have to, it's going to have to tip in the other direction soon. I would think, I mean, the nationals have not got a clean performance from their bullpen yet. They've given up runs in every game uh, for the Phillies. On the other hand, they have not really had to test the back of their bullpen yet because they've been beating teams by such a wide margin. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good day for Zach Eflin. The pitch count got up there, but he went five innings, gave up three hits, no runs, struck out nine. Uh, got to be, gotta be encouraging for Phillies fans because we know that Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta at the top of that rotation are good. If they get a good performance out of Eflin, that could – tip them towards the division title even more so. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like we talked about, I mean, they, they're, all the pieces are there. It's, I think it'll come down for them to staying healthy. But, I mean, the NL East is a really tight division, and it will be this year. I mean, you've got three and a half really capable teams so that, can, that are all capable of stealing wins on the road and winning at home. So, sure. I mean, we really won't know the, what kind of – we won't know what kind of situation we're looking at with who's leading and how many games and so and so until we really get into like that July area. And then we can kind of start forecasting some things, but this is going to be a competitive division. And the one thing I'm excited for is this nationals Phillies matchup 19 times a year is going to be looking like must see baseball. Oh yeah. It's looking like the, uh, the nationals are a young team, obviously coming back. DC came back to baseball in 05. Um, the Phillies are the clear rival at this point. Yeah, it, it, with Bryce going over there and obviously uh, being there for 13 years, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting for years to come. I mean, some stuff like this with guys moving teams within the division, especially with players as talented as Bryce Harper, uh, it, it definitely is going to spark some sort of relationship between those two teams. Yeah. So. Um, it'd be interesting to see uh, how that develops. Having said that, I wish the game had stopped uh, after personally after those two at bats with Max Scherzer. The double's fine, you know what I mean. I think he hit it off the end of the bat and just placed it well. 
He didn't. He definitely didn't get all of it. Um, sure. But I, it, I can just tell you as a third party perspective, it, it. I think it's going to be really fun to watch this. These two teams go at each other because there's so much young talent on both of these teams, and they're going to be good for several years to come. It's it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be classic heavyweight battle for for years to come. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. It's looking like the beginnings of a strong rivalry with good teams on either side. Um, another piece of news that we unfortunately have to report is Trey Turner, uh, young shortstop for the Nationals, wa- was injured in the first inning. He broke his finger, and we are not sure of the timetable, but definitely a month or more it looks like yeah that just sucks it sucks for the nationals because trey turner is the engine that makes that offense run in a lot of respects you know getting on base being an elite base stealer yeah um and just kind of keeping the line moving and being able to make plays happen with his legs um it it sucks and you don't i mean it was just a fluke play where you go go to bunt which is the right play for him to try to get on base and a two seam fastball just ran too far inside and just hit him in the, of course the, the worst spot it could. Um, yeah. I would think the timetable would be within the next, you know, I would, I would say conservatively probably four to five, four to six weeks, but yeah. I'm not a doctor. So we'd have to catch up and see what they say. But the we good come, news, like we come now to Dr. Jake Adams, doctor. <laughs> well, oh yeah. I'm prognosis polishing off my medical degree. Yeah. The, um, no, I just – the good news that I think if there's any that comes out of this is that this didn't happen in September and, you know, at the chance of missing out on a potential playoff push. So having this happen now and then being able to come back from this, I think is is much of a benefit for the Nationals. I know as dark as that sounds at this present moment, I think that we can look back on this probably in July and think that we're glad it happened then and not now. Right. Um yeah, we we will have to monitor Turner's injury. Hopefully he's I, not out too long. But, yeah, not looking good in D.C. right now. I have to ask you, I know that from particular – from being as unbiased as possible, having Bryce Harper come back into that environment with those – with the booze and, you know, everybody breathing down your back, you've got the traitor – you know, shirts in, in right field where he's running out to play his position. Were you were you surprised at all of how the first two at-bats went versus how the last three went? Or did you kind of think, like, he was going to figure it out at some point? That's a good question. Um, I would have bet my life that Max Scherzer struck him out in the first at-bat. There was just too much – too much on the line right there. I mean, honestly, at a certain point, it's a pride thing. And Max Scherzer is a rabid dog, you know. And Bryce was one of his friends, one of his close teammates. And I, I think as, as a team, it's hard to not feel spurned by this guy who hit third for your team for all those years and was one of the, uh, we think, one of the leaders in the clubhouse going to a division rival I don't think that sat well with Max Scherzer, and I think knowing what kind of pitcher he is, it was a good bet that he would come out with all that he had 
Uh, the second strikeout, I think that was just Max being Max. Um, definitely surprising to me a little bit after starting off with two strikeouts, he ended up finishing three for five with three runs driven in and a mammoth home run to right center field. I just want to, I just want to point this out. He did hit that ball and he hit it a really long way. Um, I would just like to note who was on the mound and where the pitch was thrown. Um, you're talking about Jeremy Hellickson, who no, no disrespect. Okay. No disrespect. Plays in the major league has had stretches of being a successful player. He, you know, is is not what he once was, and he's laying over 90-mile-an-hour cheese to a down-and-in power zone for one of the better hitters in that area and just absolutely served one up. Um, he right. did hit it that far, but I, I just want everybody to put this in perspective. You saw how he looked against Max Scherzer, which was completely lost. I mean, he's up with first and second in the first inning with nobody out and doesn't even move a runner over. Right. And then coming off of a 62 game facing a guy who can barely get up across eight, get across 90 miles an hour and plants one right in his happy zone. And it's not a surprise that a confident hitter and Bryce Harper hit a ball that far. I, I get I get the surroundings. I get like I get the everybody's booing him and this is his first game back and all these things. But like I don't still want to act like this was some second coming like he just hit this off of, you know, uh, off of Diaz from the Mets, you know, in the bottom of the ninth for a walk off. Fair point. Um, this is something that we have seen over Bryce's career. He has his share of meaningful home runs, and he also has his share of we're already up by a lot, and I'm going to pad my stats home runs. That's no disrespect. Everybody should be trying to do that, but. Um, yeah, let's not get lost in the, in the long ball and look at his game. It was a good game either way. Uh, he's off to a very hot start in Philly and Philadelphia is the last remaining unbeaten team in baseball. Yes, they are. As, as Dennis Eckersley, my favorite play-by-play guy would put it, um, Jeremy Hellickson threw up some smooth cheese. Yeah. To Bryce Harper. It was just smooth. To- just some smooth, just really just room temperature Gouda. Yeah. Right down the pipe. Okay. To just be slingshotted. I, I, I mean this in no disrespect to Jeremy Hellickson's family, but um, Bryce Harper disrespected his family on, on that. And, and he deserved it because, Jeremy, you're in the major leagues. Maybe you should know not to plant one down and in, you know, batting practice to an all-star. Yeah. Good point. Maybe. Very good Just point. <laughs> that that doesn't need expert analysis to go with that. There's no wins above replacement on that. That's just that's just the reality of the situation. You can get away with that with that stuff in rookie ball. Absolutely. Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna have to keep an eye on Jeremy Hellickson. See how long he is for. Uh, for I don't want to keep an eye on 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 Jeremy Hellickson. Just for the record, uh, I'd like to keep my eye off of Jeremy Hellickson. <laughs> Let's keep our eyes on Max Scherzer. All yeah, every, well, yeah. every, every color eye we have, we'll keep them on Max Scherzer. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm very okay with that. So that was definitely, um, at, at least the first half, that was, in my opinion, the game of the year so far. Um, maybe not – no, I don't want to go that far. It was the moment of the season so far. 
um, Bryce Harper's return to DC. Um, a tale of two of tale of two different games, honestly, but um, nonetheless, we wanted to get this in the podcast and talk about uh, how Bryce reacted in front of the DC fans for the first time in a long time. Um, before we go, I would just, just real quickly, I'd just like to send out a PSA to all of Red Sox Nation. Um, please don't burn down Lansdowne Street and start to have panic attacks. The Red Sox are okay. I know that we have not scored in 16 innings, and that's concerning. And, and counting. Yes, Nick, and counting. Having said that, we all know that the season does not start until we get our rings against Toronto when we get back home on the 11th. I just want to say that now. So let's let's hold the bonfire and let's hold the torches and the pitchforks until we get home. Fair fair point. I just um, want to get so the socks will be fine. Socks will be fine. Chris Sale looks has looked really good tonight. And yes, in case anybody's wondering who's obsessed with velocity and. Uh, Chris Sale is pacing himself and still is on track to win a Cy Young. You know, when they put the velocity up on the screen, I don't even look at it. I don't understand why it's a stat. Doesn't matter. I don't think it is a stat. It's just it's just numbers. I mean, let me ask you a question. It, did Greg Maddox throw 105? Uh, I, I don't believe so. Okay. Well, Greg Maddox is in the Hall of Fame last time I checked, and that man could pinpoint a fastball at 82 miles an hour and strike out Mickey Mantle. You got that right. I'm pretty sure he faced Babe Ruth about three times. Babe Ruth never touched the baseball. No, and that's the thing. We used to look forward to those Babe Ruth-Greg Maddox matchups, and honestly, kind of disappointing from Babe Ruth. It's almost like he wasn't even there. I mean, I think Adam Modavino put it best. Um, he, he related himself to Greg Maddox in saying that if he faced the great Bambino – before, in the preseason that uh, the great Bambino Babe Ruth would never get a hit off of him. Uh, Adam, I like your, I like your confidence. I like your stride. I don't think you're Greg Maddox. Yeah. I also don't think you should be disrespecting Babe Ruth in New York. Also Adam Adovino pitch well against the Orioles. Yeah. I'm going to get a tweet from Adam Adovino in two days. Very not pleased with the stats on deck podcast. Well, you know, you got to break a few eggs to make a podcast. Listen, we call out all players here, okay? I, I know you were holding back 17 different comments about Juan Soto. And pretty soon, you give it another week, we're just going to let it all rip. Hey, he's he's uh, he's got to learn how to hit a fastball again. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so we'll wrap up the podcast there. Uh, we, we got some good stuff about opening weekend and beyond. Uh, how it's going to turn around for a few playoff teams that have started slow and uh, why Bryce Harper, uh, he, we, why, we don't like him. That's just as simple as that. Sorry. We, did you decide that for the podcast? We, we, we are not fans. Stats on deck officially does not approve of Bryce Harper as an individual. How do we feel about Ken Broxton? Uh, to be determined. Okay, we'll figure that out in the next one. To be determined. <laughs> um, okay, so thank you guys so much for listening to Stats on Deck. Um, I'm Nick Laporte, and I was joined by Jake Adams. Jake? Boom, baby. 
Yo, Spaw.